Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and gender identity meets with host Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. Transition of Style is produced by Fashion Consort with music provided by Sarah FM. Hello, welcome back to Transition of Style. I'm your host, Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And in this episode, we talk to cellist Andrew Yee. Before we dive into this week's episode, we want to thank you, the listener, for supporting Transition of Style. Without your support, we wouldn't exist. So please tell your family and friends to listen in and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. And while there, please leave us a review as it helps us to reach more listeners. If you want to donate, please visit our show page at transitionofstyle.com and look for the donate button. If you're a queer business looking to sponsor or advertise on this podcast, please do so on our contact page as we'd love to include you. And now, this week's episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Transition of Style. Phil, a.k.a. Corinne here. And today I have with me the fabulous Andrew Yee. Andrew, what is going on? Hi, how are you? Oh my God, how lovely is it to have you on? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I had a really nice day. Oh, did I, you? Yeah, Tell I painted. I painted a bunch of um, apples today. <laughs> <laughs> Can we find out why you painted apples? Yeah, I just really <laughs> like painting apples. I woke up and wanted to make art, and decided to give myself that space and allow that space. And so, yeah, I talked to my friend who's living in London, and we painted together, and she painted me from sort of Facebook Messenger and I painted a series of apples and we're going to send the postcards to each other. It was really nice. Okay. Well, before we move on, Andrew, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are they, them. Fantastic. Andrew, for the TOS audience, tell us a little about you and what you do. I am, well, first and foremost, I'm a person, (laughs) but I guess (laughs) the thing I do most and the thing that I think people know me for is uh, I play the cello in a string quartet called the Ataka Quartet. And I have for like 18 years now. Uh, 18 years? Andrew, that's amazing. Yeah. So when did you start playing? I started playing when I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. I started in the public school system. It was one of those things where I just liked playing the cello. And anytime my parents would tell me to practice I would then not practice and so it was always it was always something that was mine and it was something that I did because I loved so I think that's the main reason I still do it today well how did you get introduced to the cello well in our fourth grade homeroom class I guess you could call it the strings teacher came by and showed all of the kids in the class the string instruments and so she was a violinist and she played something really nice on the violin and then she played something really nice on the viola and she was a really horrible cellist and all she could play on the cello was the theme from Jaws. The <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And I thought that was so amazing. <laughs> I like filled out the forms like in my little scribbly fourth grade handwriting, like I want to play the cello and then yeah, that was it. And for it to be Jaws, <laughs> the thing that drew you is pretty fascinating yeah (laughs) i'm really impressed by that i mean it's a compelling theme (laughs) but it's also terrifying so yeah it's true again so that's why i'm like wow that's what drew you it's amazing yeah 
tell me a little bit about your background, your family history. Like, where did you grow up? What was your family mm-hmm. like? My father was in the Air Force, and so we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was born in Ohio, and then we moved to Virginia, and then to Oklahoma, then to Germany, and then back to Virginia. And this last day in Virginia is where I started to play the cello and really where a lot of things started to click for me. And that's where my dad retired um, from the Air Force and started working at the Library of Congress. But yeah, we lived everywhere about three years or so, and it was cool. I got to see a lot of the world before I understood that was a cool thing to, uh, to do. I love that. I want to f- hear more about this trajectory of playing cello in fourth grade. How did you continue along with it? I mean, you're a professional player at this point, so mm. can you give me a little bit about the background about how all of that took place? Sure. Yeah, I think like when I was younger, like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, actually probably all the way through high school, I was really drawn to the kids who were better than me. Like, why do you sound good and I sound pretty good? You know, and how can I make the sounds that you're making? That always sort of intrigued me. I auditioned for schools and got into Juilliard and went to Juilliard. And that's where I started the quartet about a year into undergraduate. After that, it just sort of became kind of like sculpting you know you decide the things that you want to keep and the Mm -hmm. things that you want to sort of like take away and and that to me is the most exciting part of where I am in my career right now I feel like I have something that roughly looks like the finished product and just sort of you know adding to that I want to know was there a moment where you felt like you went from this is something that I picked up in fourth grade and I enjoyed it was there a moment where you went from that to saying to yourself I can actually be a professional musician I can actually do this as a career was there some moment in your life that things shifted for you do you yeah, remember that for sure I remember there was a concert I went to cuz I had been to several classical music concerts and you know because I played classical music even if they weren't the most enthralling concerts, I still could get something from it. But I went to like a lot of big symphony shows and, you know, everyone looks kind of bored. And I remember going to see a show at the Peabody Conservatory in in Baltimore. And there was a woman playing a violin concerto and she looked like she was having so much fun. (laughs) And I remember turning to my dad and being like, you can do that. (laughs) You're allowed to have fun when you play. You know, and because I have fun when I play, but I thought that eventually you were just supposed to lose that. And I think that was the moment for me. And then and also like it was around my sophomore, junior year of high school. And I was starting to think like, well, you know, what do I want to do? And the cello just was one of those things that I knew was going to be helpful and about getting into schools with. So, yeah. well, I, you know, I have seen you play and you are having the most fun. <laughs> the first time I saw you play, I was like, they're having a good time. <laughs> I want to know what's going on over there. You talk about the Attack Quartet, and I mm-hmm. want to find out, did you start that? Was that you? Did you start it with others? How did it come to be? Yeah, I, I started it with one of my best friends at the time, who is still one of my best friends, Amy, who is our first violinist in the quartet. We started it together. And we've had a few member changes since then, so we have swapped out one of the violins, In the viola spot has opened twice. And so now we're on our fourth go around but our violist has been in the group for about five years we have a second violinist who just joined in january bless his heart (laughs) (laughs) well i hope that works out because you know i I haven't seen that quartet play but i can only imagine how good it is and it makes me wonder though when you're 
playing in a quartet like that, the players are very important, right? And how you choose them and how they come together are very important. So can you tell me something about the dynamic that exists amongst you as a quartet? Yeah, I mean, the quartet is a really specific kind of family dynamic because back in the old times, but like back when things were regular, you know, I would see the members of my quartet much, much more than I would see my partner. And that was the case for, for all of us. And you have a specific type of closeness with them because they're not just a coworker because you also have to, every time you sit by them, you have to find and amplify something beautiful that they are that they are putting out in the world. That is a goal that you have to fulfill every time you sit next to them, you know? And so it's very intimate, the relationship you have with your quartet mates. I mean, I remember back when we were starting to be very successful and sometimes the personality can sort of, it can clash with how well you sound. And it's one of those questions, you know, what's important in your life and what do you bring in when you, what do you jettison, you know? I love what you said about every time you sit next to them, you have to find something beautiful about what they're doing to amplify. I mean, it seems like such a thing that needs to be happening in humanity in itself. Mm. And that is incredible. I don't know if you take any of that into your, your everyday life. I would imagine from what I sense of you that you do, but that's so amazing. That's pretty incredible. I try to, but it's not always a goal that you achieve, you know, and especially if you haven't eaten lunch or something, you know, and somebody <laughs> tries something and you're like, not today, Johnson, you know, so. <laughs> it reminds me of the Snickers commercial right now. I'm just yeah. like, you turn into that demon and you're like, I just need a Snickers. <laughs> Which, yeah. by the way, if I'm hungry, a Snickers is not going to help it. So I don't <laughs> really know what that's about. <laughs> I need like a half Snickers and a half beer. Then I'll be fine. Yeah. I need an entire sandwich, actually. Yeah. So I don't, you know, we all need something a little different, I guess. Yeah. It's hilarious. Well, you know, <laughs> I love talking about this. So tell me about how you identify. I identify, oh man, what a lovely, huge question, right? I mean, I'm biracial, so my father's Chinese and, and my mother is a mixture of all sort of European white whiteness. I identify as non-binary and trans femme, but you know, that's sort of week to week and day to day. And I think the older I get and the more I've, I've sort of hung around with the terms, the less, the less power I give the words and the more power I give the, the calm and the breath. Oh, Andrew, cut it out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> get out of here. What is, who are you, Andrew? Get out. You're the worst. What are you saying to me right now? You're <laughs> killing me. You're zenning me out here. This is beautiful. I love it. I love that so much. Tell me about being trans femme in classical music. Hmm. How do you navigate that? It's a really interesting question because it's not a question that I think many people would be able to answer. Number one, the people who did identify as trans you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago are no longer in the industry. Or if they are, they're having a resurgence now. You know, there's an amazing pianist, Sarah Davis Buchner, who won this piano competition and sort of came out as trans and had this whole journey. And I think in classical music, I don't think it's a unique case, but I think in classical music, 
if you acted or appeared sort of outside the norm of what a class musician was, it sort of fell on you to be so good that everybody says, wow, it's as if they didn't act or appear different than, wow. you know, it, you're forgiven. You're forgiven for that. And I think that's it's changing now. And I think that there are people now who don't fit the bill who are just saying, how do you like, how do you like the music? You know, it, it's simple as that. Well, so. I didn't know that. You know, that's really interesting. There are so many places where you can't be forgiven, right, if you fall outside of the norm, where there is no forgiveness given or any sort of grace given if someone is super talented. And, you know, I don't think it should have to be that way, obviously, but I did not realize that. That is so different than anything I've ever heard about someone navigating a, a gender and an identity that is outside of the norm and, and how people, how, how someone in a specific silo deals with it. Mm. That's so different. But I mean, I made sure that, my, so my quartet won a Grammy this year. And, I know. And Congratulations. <laughs> it's so cool. Thank you. And I made sure that when I showed up to the award show that I felt good, you know, and I looked good because it's one thing to have someone like Billy Porter where they're like, great, you know, cool. But to have somebody in your own industry show up like that. And if I had been a kid and seen somebody show up like that, you know, and then win and be happy about it, I think that's the takeaway for me. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to ask this question because I'm really curious about how it's navigated. I get all kinds of answers from people about how they navigate their identity in all sorts of situations. That was the first time I've heard an answer like that. So mm. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. I would have not have guessed that. When I first encountered you, you were playing with Chamber Queer, mm -hmm. which is a, a queer chamber music group. And I saw you just having the time of your life. And I was like, well, who is that? <laughs> they're enjoying life and I want to know about that so it was really it's cool to hear about how that happens how queerness and your identity happens in that space which is something a lot of people don't know about yeah and I think that's one of the main reasons that we wanted to start Chamber Queer is to have a space like a dedicated space not just sort of like you're allowed to have this here and here and here it's no please come and be you here and it's wonderful. I mean, I saw some, the performance I went to was incredible. And there were so many talented players in Chamber Queer. And mm -hmm. people who haven't checked it out, you got to check it out. They are wonderful. And, and of course, I went to your open mic, and that was incredible. So question for you before we hit the break is, do you think that your style communicates your identity adequately? Do you feel like the way you dress and your style really communicates your identity? Mm -hmm. Yes or no? Yes or, no. yes or no, yes or no, right? Yeah. Oh, well, wow. we're going to pick it up at the end. Yeah. You will get, get to elaborate. I know that I always cut people off. They're like, wait, what? You just want me to give you one answer? I'm like, just for now, but we will elaborate. But I'll, I'll say you... yes with an asterisk, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, we will pick up the asterisk <laughs> once we come back from the break. But for now, we'll go to break and we'll pick it up right after that. This week, I want to give a shout out to an awesome non-binary and queer-owned clothing company called Playout Apparel. They are a gender-equal social good enterprise that donates 20% of their profits to LGBTQ plus and BLM organizations. 
check out playoutapparel.com and find ethically made, super comfortable underwear and loungewear in a variety of sizes. On Instagram, you can follow them at playoutnyc. All right, so right before the break, Andrew said that they did feel as though their style communicated their identity adequately. And Andrew, I'm going to let you elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like I was saying earlier, sort of about the way that I feel about my identity sort of changes daily, sort of weekly, monthly. I think that there's a whole backlog, right, of identity going back to you know, when I was like eight or 10 and the only reference I had for style for someone who was like me was like a guest on like the Maury Povich show or something like that, you know? And it's sort of like, I didn't really have the sort of like positive mirror to to look back at. And so I think there was so much shame attached to my perceived identity when I was growing up. And when I started to be more open about how I wanted to present, I remember that shame sort of carrying into the way that I felt when I left my house. And so it became this sort of like mix of this is what I want. This is something I'm also ashamed of, but I'm also like excited to be wearing it you know all three of those things sort of bubbled up and that was maybe maybe three four years ago I started sort of like sort of folding it in and I think over the past year or two that's become less of the the narrative and just sort of what do I feel like wearing and does it make me happy and is it the right color and you know you know and it's sort of like that's when it gets good right yeah so I think for me my identity is tied closer to my happiness than it is to how tightly hewn my gender identity and my and this totally I'm sure I'm not the first person to talk about the artificial masculine feminine you know (laughs) on this podcast not at all no I, th- I remember trying to make that a goal about two years ago. It was like, okay, how can I find a piece of clothing that is, you know, 30% masculine, 70% feminine? You know, it's sort of like, okay, where can I find this precise recipe? Right, right. And I was not finding it because, you know, the places I was shopping were like, you know, Uniqlo and which, you know, it sort of has that vibe a little bit, but, you know, I'm still shopping in the women's section, like still like seeing how those things fit on me. And I've lost my train of thought, but (laughs) I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do what you're saying. And I love what you're saying about the recipe, because as we know how identity works and everyone brings their certain percentage of this or that to it, whether we're talking about feminine and masculine, which is, I don't even know sometimes if those are great, you know, identifiers for what people are actually feeling. It's Mm. just, there's so much meaning behind them that people can't get on on board with. So I, I completely understand what you're saying. You know, what I would ask you though, is like, you talked about earlier that you do feel as though your identity and style are 
in flux. They're in motion right now. I mean, you talked about three or four years ago where they were a little different, but where do you think they are going at this point? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. First of all, it was weird at the beginning of the pandemic to be stripped of the, like, what am I going to wear out today? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And like, I remember about a couple weeks in was making dinner with my girlfriend and we decided to get dressed up and it was like, I don't know. I mean, it was like, I had lost that part of what it meant. Isn't it weird? It's like flexing a muscle in a way. I think a lot of people (laughs) have lost it. You know, I mean, there's too many boxers and (laughs) t-shirts happening right now. And when you have to get dressed, it's like this whole different thing now. Absolutely. And I think that having that taken away left me to not consider my outside outfit as the main player in my gender identity. Because it's not about that. You know, it's like, it's, it's not, that's not what I'm after. It's a really lovely, helpful thing. And especially when we're talking to strangers and it's sort of like, it gives them a little bit of a clue about how I identify, but it has been really nice to, to figure out like what is important to me in terms of style, but also, yeah, just not worrying about like, you know, am I trans enough? Do I pass enough? What do people think of me and just be relaxed about it. And I think that's where I think I'm headed was just being kind to myself and letting myself just be. You know, it's so interesting. I haven't had anyone talk about this, even when we were doing TOS check-ins, about how different it is for us to have not have to worry so much about clothing, which we do use to communicate, right? We use it as a way of saying, I'm telling you something about myself. I put this on because I am showing you something about who I believe myself to be. And to have the ability to shed that, which we have, since a lot of us are working from home, if you're lucky enough, I mean, that's not everyone. If you can be home and not be out and you don't have to worry about that, then there's the bigger issue to attune yourself, to get in touch with, which is, I mean, the clothing is, we love talking about clothing on this podcast, but what is the clothing really? The clothing is there to put you in touch with what is going on internally. And to be able to shed that, And to go straight to the heart of the matter, which is how are you feeling internally? What are you saying? What do you know about yourself internally that you're trying to communicate, you know, externally? It's so interesting. We have not spoken about that in such a way before. And I love that you've made that connection. It's really amazing. I mean, I'm having a good time. We we can just just keep talking all day long. (laughs) You now work for Transition to Style. That's it. (laughs) You're not. You better tell the quartet. You're. You just hand in your papers with them. Tell me you can't make it to the next rehearsal. (laughs) You're with me now. That's it. (laughs) That's messed up. They're going to be really mad at you. Your family's not going to be happy. Your quartet family's going to be very unhappy with this podcast. (laughs) Sadly enough, but okay, whatever. I'm loving these conversations and and we're talking about, but, you know, I appreciate you sharing, you know, where you've been and where you're going. And I wonder, you know, as much as we can talk about what our journey is, there are people all around us, there are people everywhere on their journey. And my question to you is what advice would you share to somebody who's on their journey? Someone who's trying to really 
understand their identity, understand their style. Is there any advice that you would now give to those people or even advice that you would have given to yourself from this point, if you know, your younger self? Yeah, that's always, I mean, I think it's really similar advice to what I would give to somebody who's working on music and getting better is like the best thing you can do is to be kind to other people to yourself and also all people really want from you I think in general is honesty you know and I think that that the thing that has made me feel really just infinitely better is that I feel like I am truly sort of honoring myself. And so I have confidence because it became a thing where if I wore old clothes that I wasn't so happy with, I felt ashamed of those, you know? And so I think, yeah, just being honest and being kind, I think are the two major navigators, I think, that I would point to. I mean, fantastic advice. I mean, something that we don't offer ourselves often enough is kindness, a little bit of space to figure things out. We're all figuring something out, right? And we don't, we often feel like we should already have those answers and, and know where we need to be, and that's not the case. So I think that the best way to get to that level of honesty you just mentioned is to give yourself the space and time to sort of figure that out. I would ask you, just to go back to the other question for one moment, do you think that now that you've had this period of time where you didn't have to think so much about your outfits and you didn't have to think about, are you representing yourself with your clothing you know, in, in the right way, do you think that this time of being able to shed that and being able to get into the internals of like who you are and how you feel, do you feel like it's going to change the way you dress? Do you think it's going to make something different about that when, when you're out in the world more and you're now having to think about clothing again? I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, I I think also one of the great things about the past couple of months has not been negative commentary from the streets. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. You know, so not having to deal with with that loop. And I think that not having to deal with that loop has actually also helped me sort of clarify like what I want and it it's not sort of like how comfortable am I pushing it? You know, it's not sort of like, am I going to wear a six or a yeah. 10 in terms yeah. of pushing it? Yeah. yeah. And you make a very good point about the not having to listen to that noise because that noise can be really distracting to like you figuring out what's happening with you. Right. It definitely takes away from the silence you need to like go within and, and figure out where you are and understand what who you are and and how you want to show up in the world that can be very distracting for that so i completely understand that for sure yeah it makes it about somebody else which is which yes very very (laughs) dumb (laughs) so andrew this has been an amazing conversation i've loved talking to you but i want to tell the audience like where can we find you where do we find you on social media and where do we find all the wonderful things you're doing yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and my personal website is andrewyechellist.com, and my quartet is the Ataka Quartet, atakaquartet.com, and Ataka has two T's and two C's. Oh, my God. And, and are you doing any, like, virtual concerts or anything like that that people can check out? 
Absolutely. Yeah, we just actually had a few this past weekend, but we started getting together in in July and to to rehearse and distanced and masked and the whole the whole thing. And so we recorded a few shows and we recorded um, an album and yeah, so we're going to have a lot of announcements soon. So it's fantastic. Well, I hope also in addition to that Chamber Queers up to some really cool things as well, because they are also pretty awesome and how do how do people find chamber queers yes chamberqueer.org and yeah we just did a, a virtual festival this summer and we're about to start planning this this whole next year about what it's going to look like and how we can make a sort of queer community center oh. feeling for classical music and and for for anybody who's interested oh fantastic andrew thank you so much this has been such a wonderful and insightful interview it has been such a pleasure to have you on for the tos audience please follow andrew and all that they're doing such incredible music such an incredibly talented cellist i could listen to you play all day (laughs) i could talk to you all day (laughs) (laughs) that might happen (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being with us today, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Transition of Style. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on our show page at transitionofstyle.com for more information and follow us to share in the conversation on Instagram at transitionofstyle.com. 